Hey, Journey. Good morning. My name's Chris. It's a privilege and an honor to be with all of you this morning. Okay, cool. Let, let's, let's pray together. God, we come before you on this morning humbly. We come before you acknowledging that you are an almighty, all-powerful God. And God, also we pray for our time together this morning, that you would open up our hearts and our lives to what you might have for us, that we would be expectant, that you would meet us where we're at, that you, you would have something for each one of us here today, even if it's just a reminder of how loved we are, God. So we give this morning, we give this time to you, we gather in your name for your glory. We love you, in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so... We're in this series called Fail, right? And you've got, some of you anyway, a notes page. Well, I'm going to change things up a little bit, and now your notes page is obsolete. Okay? That doesn't mean that the scripture on your notes page is obsolete. You can take that home and read that whenever you want. Um, but I've decided to, to go a little bit of a different direction this morning. Uh, it's, it's a little weird to say it to you guys. I don't know if you guys know there's a 9 o'clock that happens before this. Like, I don't know who'd get up then either, but right, there's one that happens before this. So it's like, hey, I changed things up, and they already knew that, and then I preached a message that I had just changed up, and now I have to tell it to you guys again. So I don't, maybe there's not a freshness to it anymore, but hopefully God would still use it. So I showed up here this morning at 7 o'clock, and I I felt or I heard or, you know, however we try and explain these things when God speaks into our lives, that I was supposed to speak about something besides John 4 that you find on your notes page that I had a very nice sermon prepared on. And so I said, okay, God, let's do it. Let's do it. And so we're going to talk about something a little different. Uh, when, when I took this class in seminary, I'm almost done with seminary, praise God. Amen. Okay. And yeah, uh, I, had this, I had this professor. He's a, he's a spiritual director, which means he directs people's spiritual lives. And he would do these retreats, right? And over and over again, he kept praying or preaching the same message. So it was like for 250 consecutive spiritual retreats, he actually preached a message on the woman at the well, which is ironic because you don't get to hear one of those today, right? But he, but he said to our class, he's like, I kept asking God, could I do something different? And God kept being like, no, it still speaks. It still speaks, so keep preaching it. And it was fresh every time he gave it. And he said, just, I just kept doing it. And I took note, that was about a year and a half ago. I took note, and, I, and for me, that message that still speaks, that I know that I've just got to keep preaching for the rest of my life, is Luke 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. Uh, if, if you've been around here at all, I suppose you've probably heard me preach on it. If you've spent any time in high school in the last four years, then you've heard it like 15 to 20 times. So, Sorry. Right, but maybe this one's new. So I'm, I'm just going to go for it and come along for the ride. How's that sound? Yeah, good. I mean, you don't have an option. I, I was trying to make that clear. I have the microphone. I'm going to do it anyway. But I appreciate that you would come willingly, all eight of you who are on board with that. You know, everybody else. Yeah, sorry. Read your notes page then. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in Luke 15 here. And uh, I'm going to read it from the voice translation in an actual this is like a paper Bible, right? These are cool. I have one of these too, but usually I use a digital version. And I'm going to read it from the voice translation because it's my favorite translation. And again, I get to do what I want today. So if you want to turn to Luke 15, verse 11, you can do that. I'm going to, I'm going to read the story and then we're going to walk through it together. Here we go. This is Jesus talking. He's telling, telling a story. He says this. 
Once there was a man who had two sons. One day the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated assets and divided them. A few days passed and his younger son gathered all his wealth and set off on a journey to a distant land. Once there, he wasted everything he owned on wild living. He was broke. A terrible famine struck that land and he felt desperately hungry and in need. He got a job with one of the locals who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man felt so miserably hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. Nobody gave him anything. So he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and I'll return to my father and I'll say, Father, I have done wrong, wrong against God and against you. I have forfeited any right to be treated like your son, but I'm wondering if you'd treat me as one of your hired servants. So he got up and returned to his father. The father looked off in the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son and ran out to him and folded him in embrace and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe we have and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. So they had this huge party. Now, the man's older son was still out in the fields working. He came home at the end of the day and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant said, your brother has returned and your father has butchered the fattest calf to celebrate his safe return. The older brother got really angry and refused to come inside. So his father came out and pleaded with him to join the celebration. But he argued back, listen, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never disobeyed one of your orders, but how many times have you even given me a little goat to roast for a party with my friends? Not once. This is not fair. So this son of yours comes, this wasteful delinquent who has spent your hard-earned wealth on loose women, and what do you do? You butcher the fattest calf from our herd. The father replied, my son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours. Isn't it right to join in the celebration and be happy? This is your brother we're talking about. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found again. End of the story. So there's this whole idea in the midst of this story of people leaving home, right? Maybe uh, an older son who wouldn't come back home and a younger son who left and then did come back. And when I think about me and my own life and leaving home, it's usually centered around this pursuit for like recognition or like to be impressive, to be the hero, to be known for something, right? You, you might not be able to relate to that. You can insert your own struggle for you. But right, like I find that I'm away from where God would intend me to be when I'm trying to get the credit for myself, when I'm trying to be recognized for something I'm doing on my own. Like I had this whole internal battle happening just yesterday, actually. Uh, I performed a wedding for two of my greatest friends and it was a, a real special day. But even in the midst of that, 
right? Like I, I had this battle going on because you know what a wedding's supposed to be about? The bride. It's supposed to be about the bride, right? Like not me. It's not supposed to be about the officiant, okay? It's supposed to be about the bride. And yeah, there's some other important things going on there too, right? But it's, it's not supposed to be about me. And so I'm struggling with that internally, doing my best to not project it onto the entire ceremony, which I think I did successfully, by the way. But uh, you can recognize me for that later. Uh, <laughs> I, I get to this point, like we're all done, right? The ceremony's over and we're walking out and, and this, this man comes up to me who he, he's from out of town. I've never met him before. And, and, he, and he says to me, and he's, a, he's an older gentleman. He says to me and he shakes my hand and he's like, I'm not religious at all, but that was a, and he, he uses the D word, which I can't use from stage here, but you can insert that. He says, that was a D word good service. And I was like, yeah, it was, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, whoops, in that moment, I've left home again, right? Like, I'm not where God would intend me to be. I stepped out of home in relationship with the Father in that moment. So that, that, that's my struggle, right? That, that's often where I find myself failing, falling short, right? Falling apart, ending up in a, a broken state, whatever it might be. And so all, all of what we've been looking at as we've worked through this series of fail is failure. Like, what does it mean? What does God think about it? And today we're going to look at it through this, this question of how do we respond to failure? Right? How do we respond to failure? Because I think that we've adequately, over the last, whatever, five weeks or so, come to the place where we can all be in agreement that we've all failed. Right? We've all failed. We've all fallen short. We've all been broken. We've all been hurt. Sometimes it's our own doing. Sometimes it's something else. Right? But we've all been there. Some of us are probably in the midst of failing at something right now. Right? Like I might be because I scrapped my entire sermon and then went for a new one. So if it is a fail, then that's the point. Okay? Like you can learn from that. That's, that we'll just go with that. Right? But we're all there. We're all there. So we're looking at this whole thing and we're saying, how do we respond to failure? How do we respond? And in order to do that, we're just going to walk right on through Luke 15, parable of the lost sons, parable of the prodigal son, whatever you want to call it. But there's two sons and a father and we're going to go through their story. Does that sound good? Okay, again, again, I know you've learned this now, but you have to come with me anyway, all right? And so what I've done here, as someone would do if they, they planned a new sermon at 7 a.m., I've inserted this, this story in the New Living Translation now, so we will use a different translation to walk through it, okay? So if you want to follow along, you can. Luke 15, verse 11, in the NLT, that's what I'm working from. Here we go. Jesus is talking, all right? And let me, let me just set the scene again. All right, let me set the scene. Here's Jesus. He's been hanging out with all of these sinners. He's been eating meals with them, right? Like, I don't know, talking, doing stuff together, that sort of thing. And then these, these guys come on the scene, the Pharisees and the scribes, who they usually aren't doing bad things. And they're like, who is this Jesus guy? What, this, he can't be doing this stuff. He can't be hanging out with these people like you and me, right? Like, he can't be doing that. And so Jesus tells them three stories. And the first story he tells them is about some lost sheep. So he tells a story about some sheep, and they're like, okay, cool. And then he tells some story about some coins and a lost coin. And then after that, which is where we're gonna end up, he starts to talk about some lost people, some lost people. So here we go. We pick it up. Jesus is getting to the people. And here, here's what it says, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. 
So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Right, so essentially what this younger son is saying is, Father, I wish you were dead so I could have your money, but since you're not, let's just pretend you're dead, and then you give me the money. Right, like in, in a, this time, right, Jesus' culture, like he would actually have had to sell some of their property in order to give this younger son the money. Okay, like that's a big deal. Because my guess is, if there's any fathers in here, and your son said, hey, give me, give me my share, whatever you got, you wouldn't like go off selling your car and your house and rent another place for the family and give him some money. You probably wouldn't do that. But you might if you want to be like Jesus. I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right? So here's what happens next in verse 13. A few days later, this younger son, he packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Wild living, right? Like, let's pause there for a second, okay? Because we, we hear that at first, and we're like, oh, that's not me then. That's not, I'm not at all into the wild living thing. Like, personally, I'm 30, and the most wild thing I do now is wear a flat bill on stage. You know, like, I don't, I don't think that's what they're looking for in wild living here. We're like, that's the worst of the worst. They're crazy, and then we don't put ourselves in that, that boat anymore. We don't think of ourselves as this younger son, right? I actually had... Uh, Brandon, Brandon Edwards, he's our, our creative arts and worship pastor, and his little daughter, Jane, she's like four or five. She was listening to me give a version of this sermon once before, and when I said the wild living piece, she like elbowed her dad, and she's like, Daddy, I know what wild living is. And she's like, it's giraffes and lions and tigers. So you might be in that boat. You might have got it confused with wildlife, okay? <laughs> but... Yeah, that, that's irrelevant to anything, right? So the point is, don't, don't exclude yourself from putting, putting yourself in the, the shoes of this younger son by thinking that your wild living isn't like his wild living. Wild living is any time we've left home for even a moment, even 10 minutes, right? Even an hour, even five years, whatever it might be. That's when we've walked away from the life that God intended for us. So here's what happens. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to the distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And what's really interesting about that is that we don't think like this, right? But in, in the Jewish culture... To end up in the pig pen wanting to eat the slops from the pigs that they eat, like that's like as dirty and unclean as you can get. Like that, that's more unclean than the wild living thing. Right? So it is like the bottom of the bottom. Right? It says that, that he was starving. My guess is not only was his stomach starving, but his soul was starving. Right, when we would know what that feels like too when we've walked away from home even for a moment. Right, it's that, that time when our soul begins to starve. Right, there's something in us that knows this isn't what's going to make us whole. This isn't what's going to fulfill us. This isn't what's going to make us happy. And so there he is, right, like hanging out with the pigs. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. I love that. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, for I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. 
And, and I just love that wording, when he came to his senses. Right, the, the voice that we read earlier says, and he had this moment of self-reflection. Right, and there's always this time when we've left home, when we left the place that God would intend for us to be, when we've left relationship with the Father, where all of a sudden it hits us and we come to our senses or we have this moment of self-reflection and we realize we're outside of being who God wants us to be. We're missing out on what home is supposed to be like. How do we get back there? He thinks he should probably come up with a speech. And if you've spent any time in the church at all, you've probably heard that at some point, like it's really important to have a speech prepared before you get any type of forgiveness, before you get any type of being back in the good graces of a father who supposedly loves you no matter what, right? Like we think we've got to have reasons and we've got to have the speech and we've got to have the prayer. We think we've got to have it down. That's what this younger son thinks too because he knows he's outside of relationship. He says, I'm no, no longer even worthy of being called your child. But remember, he had come to his senses. He had come to his senses. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. You got to picture this now. Right? We didn't make it really very far on that one, I know. Right? So he returned home to his father. Now you got to picture it. Okay? Because he, he was bottomed out, right? He was just in the pig pen. He was starving. He was starving for food, starving for a connection again with his father, starving to be loved, right? Like all of that was happening, but he decides, I'm gonna come home. My guess is we don't often return home, right? Sprinting, fist pumping, like I'm on my way home. It was probably head hung low in shame, right? Like I just gotta memorize my speech and hopefully it works out when I get back. I could maybe be a servant. That would be nice. Right, like there's not a whole lot of optimism in that moment. But check what happens next. Pause for effect, you ready? And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. You know how you see someone coming from a long way off? You look for them. I usually don't do hard questions. Like, so if you know the answers, you can throw them out there, right? You have to be looking for them. And so in this story, this father, right, he, he represents God. This is who God is. This is what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at the father in this story. You know what he was doing? He was looking for his son to come home. A long way off. That means you might even have to be walking around like this all the time. Waiting, hoping, Right? That's what God's like. That's what he's looking for. So he's a long way off, and his father saw him coming, but it gets better. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Right, like just imagine the scene. Let that like explode in your mind that there was this son who had taken one step home, right? His head was hung low in shame, but a father had been looking for him. And when he saw him, what was his reaction? He was filled with love and compassion, and he sprints to him. He sprints. Middle Eastern fathers didn't sprint, you guys. Like this is a big deal. 
This is the same son who wished he was dead. The same son who took all his money and spent it on wild living. This is the same son who is covered in the most unclean stuff you can be covered in at that moment. And he's walking home and the father sprints and doesn't do one of these. Welcome home, son. Boom, locks him up. I don't know if you've ever hugged anyone who's ever been rolling around in a pig pen, which I, I haven't, and if you have, that's crazy, actually. We should talk about that. Like, but my guess is, my guess is, right, that that's not, that's not the best embrace you've ever had, right? But he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He enfolds him in an embrace. He locks him in an embrace, and then he kisses him. And I just imagine God holding us, right? Like I imagine the father holding me. Like he, he's, and you're trying to give your little speech, right? That's what happens next. He gives that whole speech that he had prepared. Yeah, but I've sinned against heaven and you and I can't even be your son. Would you let me be a servant? Right, he's probably like squeezing him tighter that whole time. He's like, you don't need to say that. And so here's what happens. But his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. This son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. That should, you should just be so pumped right now. Like if we were that kind of church family, you'd be like, Amen! You would say that. The party began. You should be excited about that. Right? Like that's what God is like. The finest robe in the house. You know whose robe that was? The father's. Yeah, the dad's, right? Somebody's playing along. I like that. Right? Exactly. Like the dad is restoring his sonship. He's saying, no, you are still worthy of being my son. And I don't need your well-rehearsed speech. I just need the fact that you wanted to come home. That's all I needed. Like all throughout the the New Testament, we we are taught typically like first of of who we are in Jesus. We're taught of our identity as a son or a daughter of Christ, right? Who we are. Because the more you know about who you are, the more you'll know what to do, right? That's why that's the starting point. And so when you know and you can embrace that you are a son or a daughter of God, that, that will impact the decisions you make. And so what I think is really, really compelling about this, I think the whole thing's actually really compelling. I didn't catch my breath, right? Like, is this. So often, so often we think our, our sin or our failure or our brokenness or, or whatever has happened in our life, we think that's the final word. Like we think that we are defined by the worst things that have happened to us, the worst things we've suffered through, the worst things we've failed. We think that defines us. We think it's the last word. But you know what I think? I think it's the middle word. I think our failure, I think our sin, I think our brokenness is the middle word, right? Like, because what's the first word? The first word is that we're like created, right? Like created in the image of God, every single one of us. So there's the, there's the first word, this is who you are, but eventually we break that. That's the middle word, right? Eventually that falls apart. You know, that, the, the sin thing, it, it gets in the way, right? It messes it all up, but it's not the final word. It's just the middle word because the final word, you know what has the final word? The father who throws parties. The father who saw you coming a long way off. 
The father who sprinted to you, who hugged you and kissed you and put his robe on you. Who sliced up a big old cow and said, let's do steaks. Right, like that's, that's the final word. That when you are in relationship with the father, you are made new. That which was dead comes back to life. That what was lost is now found, right? And that's worthy of a party because that's the final word. You are who God says you are. You are my son. That's what he's saying to him. It's good stuff. Here's what happens next. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, this, this, I'm stopping again, right? This caught my attention this morning when I said that. When he returned home, even the older son returns home. Right, even the older son had been away from home. What happens when he returns home? He heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on because typically I guess there wasn't music and dancing in the house. There had actually been no reason for music and dancing because they had had to sell half of their estate and they sent it off with the younger brother who wasted it. So he's like, what's going on? What's going on? So a servant, servant says this, your brother's back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. What did God just do again? If God is the father in this story, he met him where he was at again. It doesn't matter if you're the son who wasted everything on wild living and your whole life bottomed out, or if you're the son who thinks you've done all the right things and got it all together. God goes and meets you either place. Because a Middle Eastern father, again, does not leave the party he's throwing to beg your son to attend. That's, that's just not the way it worked. So Jesus is telling this story, and all the guys who are all worked up, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're like, pew, 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 no way. Right, like that, that's exactly what they're thinking. This can't be happening. That he would come out of his party. He already, he already ruined everything when he threw the party. Now he's leaving his party to welcome in somebody else to beg them to join it. So he goes out there and he begs him. He shames himself for the sake of his son. Right, but he, he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Right? Like even the, even the older son wants a party. He just wanted to throw it on his own. He didn't want the, par- the father at the party, right? He wanted his own party. And so his father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And the story ends. Like, it's so interesting to me that the story ends without knowing if the older brother went and joined the party. Right, but, but as easily as I can relate to the younger son, it's way more fun to relate to the younger son, by the way, because yeah, your life went a little out of control and bottomed out, but you got the party. Right? You got to come home to the party. But sometimes, sometimes I'm the older son too, and sometimes I stand outside the party. 
And sometimes I say to the Father, sometimes I say to God, but God, I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing this and doing this and doing this. I mean, he even says, I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. Have you obeyed every single command that God has ever given you but missed out on being in a relationship with God? Could you be standing outside trying to do all of the right things because all you want is the Father's stuff? All you want is the Father's blessing? All you want is something in your life to go right when the whole point is you're missing out on being with the Father? And the other hard part about standing outside is you never get to celebrate with anybody either. Right, like, I don't, this is extreme. Remember, I didn't even write this, so this might not count. So you can fail if it goes fail, right? But like we just talked about praying for, for those in Iraq and Syria. Are, like, are we going to pray for ISIS and that, that their hearts might be turned and that they might come and choose to follow Jesus? And if they said yes and the Father throws them a party, would we want to go to that party? It's like, it's a rhetorical question. I don't know the answer to that. You gotta decide that, right? But that, that's what happens. It's the same mindset. We continually exclude and decide ourselves who should be and who shouldn't be at the party. Well, you know who decides that? The father. And he's leaving the party and he's running from his home and he's saying everybody, he's relentlessly going after everybody saying, come and join the party where you were once dead, you can now become alive where you were lost trying to figure it out on your own, whatever it might be. Some of us do it in Christian culture and we do all the Christian things and some of us do the opposite and we choose these things and some of us just live the status quo and that's all leaving us away from the Father. But every single one of us, no matter where we're at, outside of that home, God is running to, he's looking for, he's waiting for you to do one thing. This, right here, ready? Tiny step, that's it. Right, like that's all that the younger son did. He just turned around. He just turned around and we're so conditioned to believe that, that we have to make our way back to God. That, that when we've left, that when something's fallen apart, that when we failed, that when we've been crushed, whatever it is, we think we have to make our way back to the Father, that that's the only way. And along the way, we become an older brother if we try that too much. Right, but God's saying, Jesus is saying by telling this story, that's not the way it is. Just, just turn around, I've been looking for you. And the moment that he sees us, the moment that we turn around, he sprints and he locks us in an embrace and he kisses us and he clothes us and he throws a party and he hopes everyone would come and join the party. And he says, you are my child, your sonship or, or your daughtership is restored. Like your standing as a child of God is restored at every moment in which you are in relationship with the Father. So even if you leave for 10 minutes, just turn around and he's there. If you leave for five years, just turn around and he's there. There's nothing you gotta do to get back to that place. And if there's anything that I think that should be our response to failure, because I, I don't know if you remember that, that was what we were talking about. What's our response to failure? It would be that we would just turn around and take one tiny step. You would shuffle your foot an inch in that direction, and it's in that moment that God would meet us. 
that God would make you new, that God would make you whole, that God would redeem what had been broken, that God would wipe away the failure and the sin, and you'd get to start all over. Right? God has second chances in third and fourth and fifth and sixth, right? It's a pretty amazing process. So with that in mind, why don't you go ahead and set anything you're hanging on to aside, and I just want to give you a few moments right now just to, to spend time with God. Be still, be quiet, reflect. Maybe, maybe this is a moment where you just say, God, I'm, I'm coming home. And, and you just sit here and let that wash over you that he's sprinting to you right now. Maybe, maybe you've been standing outside the party too long and you've been doing all the things he told you to do, but you've missed out on the being part of just being with the Father. Maybe there's someone that you need to be praying for and you need to invite them to the party. Or maybe you just need to take a moment and just sit in the embrace of a father who loves you and pursues you relentlessly no matter where you've been or what you've done. Take a few moments and then I'll close this. you continue to take this time, I just want to maybe speak something over us, I suppose. I want to give you an opportunity to, to respond in some way. Like I, I'm not really concerned about it if you've said, ah, oh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior before or not, but, but wherever you're at right now in your life, you might be looking for an opportunity to just acknowledge before him that you're coming home. Maybe you've been walking the other direction for two days, maybe 20 years. Maybe you've never even realized what it's like to be home and today's the day you wanna take that tiny step in the other direction and be met by a father who loves you relentlessly, who pursues you constantly. And today is the day where you wanna say, God, I'm coming home, whatever that looks like for you. So if that's something that you need to do or want to do today, you could just pray along with me in the quiet of your heart a prayer that would go something like this God I realize I've been leaving home I've been going the other direction I've been trying to figure out and find my worth in other things besides you and today's the day I want to be home with you today's the day I'm taking one small tiny little step towards you fully expecting you to sprint and embrace and clothe and restore me as your child. So God, I give you 
control of my life. I ask that you would forgive me for the the things I've done wrong. Forgive me for the sins I've sinned against you, God. And I thank you for your son, Jesus, who's the ultimate example of your love when he went to the cross and died on the cross so that we might have a way to have a relationship with you. Today, I'm choosing you, Father. Would you take my life? Would you welcome me into the party today, God? And if you prayed that, if you're taking that step towards home, it's just, it's one of the biggest decisions you make. Even when it's a a daily one, it's one of the biggest decisions we make. And it's such a big deal that we just ask that you'd share that with us. So if you're coming home today, would you just slip up your hand and make eye contact with me and we could celebrate that together. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, right there, right there, right there, right there, back there. Yeah, I see you right there, right there. Over there, right here, right here. Yep, I see you. Yeah, I see you right there, bud. Yep, right here, right here. I see you. Yeah. Got you over there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I see you. See you right there, too. Let's, let's just actually clap because it's a party. Like, yeah, that's cool. Good job. Let, let me pray for us and then we'll celebrate with some singing at the party. God, we thank you so much that, that you love us this way. That, that there's never any place we can go that is too far from you. Would you continue to pursue us? Would you continue to invite us home? Would you continue to help us live in the embrace of how much you love us, God? And would we be so changed by how much you love us that we can't help but tell other people, that we can't hold it in, that we can't help but go out and share our story and say, hey, I know a God who met me in my failure, who met me in my brokenness, and I am brand new. Would we go and live as if this actually changes everything about our lives, God? We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your love, and we pray that all of this would be for your glory and your glory alone. In your name we pray, amen.